It was cold and I was bundled up in a coat as I browsed the worn fairy tale section in a library-hosted book sale. I was flipping through a very old, very battered copy of Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland when an older man wandered over to me and began to warn me of the perils of reading books like this. He informed me of the historical sections at the sale and urged me to be more careful with my heart that fiction is just another disguised temptation and I should avoid it as much as I can. <laughs> I was young, he said, and he just wanted to let me know. But as I thanked him for his advice and he left me alone in the chilly aisle, I wondered if he was right after all. In the years since my unexpected encounter, I have continued to wonder. We see the outpouring of fiction in the parables and poetry of the Bible, in the bookshelves of our houses, in the lips of old wives and their tales. We read it in revered yellow volumes or hear it from a cackling grandparent who heard it from theirs. Fictional storytelling surrounds us, folded over us, tucked beneath us, and we recognize it readily. It is one of the oldest and still most controversial forms of storytelling. There are just as many perspectives on the issue as there are people speaking. However, the deeper we capsize into modernity, the more we are taught that fictional storytelling does not have as much bearing on reality, on reality as works of history, logic, or science. It is a product of whimsy or childishness, impractical and intangible in its movement. It is not for the intellectually advanced, who can focus more on the profundities of philosophy, while the less elite must lag behind on the Brothers Grimm or Harry Potter. However, it is my belief that fictional storytelling is an art intrinsic to humanity. In poetry and prose, it is structured by language, plot, and character to convey a form of truth, whether blatant or graspless. Karen Swallow Pryor, an expert in literature, explains that, quote, words carry resonances that spill beyond the bounds of logic and even conscious thought. Literary language echoes meaning and reminds us that there is, in fact, meaning, end quote. The truth of fiction is formational rather than simply informational. While it may not cure ailments and end evil, it may help us to see the beauty of the mundane, to see the humanity within our enemies and friends, and God between each plot point. Fiction is just as important as nonfiction, both in its depiction of reality and its pursuit of God and virtue. We see this in its origin and its impact, and then, practically, in, the, in an example of the form of The Road by Cormac McCarthy. The, birth, the birthplace of fictional storytelling is in the imagination. George MacDonald, an engaging philosopher who is also considered the father of modern fairy tales, writes that the act of imagination is, quote, to inquire into what God has made, end quote, the end of which is harmony, discovery, and joy within God's creation. It is the closest thing we have to getting inside the mind of our maker. Because, quote, the imagination of man is made in the image of the imagination of God, our consciousness in the resembling conditions must, afar off, resemble his, end quote. We create to understand God and his creation more fully, whether this is conscious or not. Although God did not directly beget the book or painting or other piece of art in question, he did beget the man who made those things. Imagination leads to art, and if that art is informed in God's truth, how can it not be good? <laughs> art being the result of the imagination, and fiction being one of the many results of art, it is important to understand the vital role such an activity plays in humanity. Only the Lover Sings is a collection of essays written by Joseph Pieper, in which he explores the idea of an activity that is meaningful in itself in the life of humanity. He writes, quote, The ultimate fulfillment, the absolute meaningful activity, the most perfect expression of being alive, the deepest satisfaction, and the fullest achievement of human existence must needs happen in an instance of beholding, namely in the contemplating awareness of the world's ultimate and intrinsic foundations, end quote. Pieper concludes that the activity meaningful in itself is contemplation, most often and most fully brought about by engaging in art. Good art is a gateway to reality for both the artist and the beholder. 
Those who, quote, listen and observe can also touch in contemplation the core of all reality, end quote, and thus can perceive in the world the world in a more loving and wise fashion. Pieper says the point of art in the end is to teach us to see and to become. It is, quote, the bringing forth of ever more perfect eyes, end quote. In the end, the participation of such a foreshadowing of God's ultimate creation, God's ultimate story and conclusion, is to us, quote, almost more necessary than our daily bread, which is indispensable and yet insufficient, end quote. Although we just established the connection between fiction and reality, it happens to be that one of the most controversial parts of fictional art is its tendency to blur the lines of morality, convention, and what we know as reality. This attribute alone is the cause of much skepticism, and yet I believe it to be one of its most important traits. Fiction's ability to tell a story from an unexpected angle, with unusual stakes or, stakes or circumstances, aids us in the task of becoming sacrificial listeners. Sacrificial listening, an action necessary to Christians, is letting our fellow man share his stories with understanding and openness. It allows us to hear what may contradict what we already believe without immediately <coughs> labeling the storyteller as wrong or less good. Karen Swallow Pryor, an expert in the field of literature, holds the belief that good fiction is far more interested in altering perspectives than preaching lessons. Quote, literature shows us how a different character, a situation, an event seems from different angles and perspectives, and even how inexact our knowledge remains, end quote. It strengthens our ability to empathize with humanity, with people who are suffering in all the other ways we haven't. It will help us to understand without justifying the villains of the story, thus making it more possible to love them and, when we happen to be the villains, ourselves. When we engage fully with the art of fiction, we may eventually be taught to look upon our fellow man as more than his worst actions, as made in the Imago Dei, redeemable as the prodigal son. Even the most tattered were once beautiful. Even Satan was once an angel. Fiction forces us to think with more complexity on matters of humanity, to delve further into characters than the generic labelings of good guy and bad guy. Fiction expands what modernity otherwise makes flat and easily traversed. It makes more difficult, and yet more virtuous, the relationships we have with one another. In this way and in others, we can see that fictional storytelling is formational rather than simply informational. This difference marks the greatest distinction between fiction and nonfiction. The latter can be used as a sort of rule book, a practical guide to our world. A fairy tale will not be as effective as a history book when teaching us the war strategies of Hannibal, nor will it yield better than results than a manual when fixing the brakes in a car. <laughs> nonfiction is extremely vital, and it would be absurd to admit anything less. It gives us context for our current realities. On the other hand, fiction can't be used as a tool or a rule book. Rather, one should engage with fiction as one might a friend, expecting depth of character, contrast in belief, difficulty of understanding. Whether for better or worse, the impact of fiction is as powerful and lasting as a human relationship, as Pryor says, quote, altering our lives forever, end quote. The aftermath of a good story, one that breached your barriers and forced you to think, to feel, will remain with you like the taste of a feast. One of the most moving and most devastating works of fiction I have come to love is a Pulitzer Prize-winning novel entitled The Road. The Road is a contemporary, secular, dystopian novel, all three categories of which we might often regard with more suspicion. Many who claim to dislike fiction will make exceptions for the classics or for biblical renditions of the genre, such as parables. The general distaste for the three categories mentioned above, however, is exactly one of the reasons I chose this story to examine. Written by Cormac McCarthy in 2006, The Road follows a man and his son as they attempt to survive and navigate a post-apocalyptic world, quote, shuffling through the ash, each the other's world entire, end quote. They are going south, searching for the sea and civilization. 
Starving, exhausted, and frightened, the pair encounters a world reduced to desperation and cannibalism, and the man must struggle to decide if it is worth keeping his son alive to suffer continuously, without much hope for a better end, possibly ruining his precious boyhood in the process. McCarthy presents the struggle of a suffering man teetering between desperation, desperation and hope, God and abandonment. In the end, when the man decides to trust that his son will find a better life rather than murdering him, the man grows sick and dies, leaving the son to walk the road alone. By a very intentional mechanism of deus ex machina, the boy is found by more good guys, and we are led to believe that he does find safety and hope with them. In my full-length capstone, I examined the story in light of the three theological virtues depicted in it. As this was an individual process, it's a bit too lengthy to include here, so I will just include the first, faith. The faith presented in the road was not unwavering, not something we might witness on a Sunday school television program. It is far more human, far more difficult to grasp. The man is torn between a necessary belief in some god and a desperate nihilism. Dr. Alan Noble, a scholar of McCarthyan literature, explains that, quote, the horrific tragedy of daily life forces the man to question God at every turn, end quote. The world has ended as he knew it. His wife has committed suicide, his boy is dying of starvation, and dreams of his past happy life torture him every night with their transient sweetness. Coughing up blood into the soil one sunless morning, the man rasps into the void, quote, Are you there? Will I see you at last? Have you a neck by which to throttle you? Have you a heart? Damn you eternally, have you a soul? Oh God, he whispered, oh God, end quote. He cannot understand how a God how a god would allow such un unending suffering to befall the world without relief or even a reminder of his presence. Death is a constant looming presence, and the urgings of his late wife continue to haunt him as he walks the road, her urgings to kill their son as a mercy before worse things befall him. Noble describes the man's faith as Abrahamic, but rather than t his test being to kill his son, it is to allow him life. To trust in an alternate ending for his son, to live by this, quote, absurd faith, the man displays a profound belief in the goodness of God, end quote. The faith the man clings to comforts the man in his choice to preserve the boy and provides the boy with the comfort that he will be okay in the end. He constantly smooths away the boy's fear, telling him that, quote, all the trees in the world are going to fall sooner or later, but not on us, end quote. Even in situations in which things are not okay, in which he cannot possibly know if they will be again, he urges his son, quote, don't lose heart, we'll be all right, end quote. He has little reason to believe this, and there is the obvious fear that he will be wrong in the end. Potts writes that the faith of the man, quote, looks less like a creed and more like a wager or a sacrifice, end quote. The fact that faith is so much more unreasonable, so much more difficult, makes the man's struggle for it all the more profound and beautiful. The Road is a difficult story. It is raw and tragic and brutal in its telling. The beauty is mixed up and melded into the depravity of its setting, and it must be sifted for at times. Yet this does not contaminate or negate the beauty and value there. In fact, Potts, a scholar of McCarthy's work in the context of Christianity, writes that, quote, locating the sacred in, with, and under the mundane is, and profane is precisely what incarnation is about, end quote. Even though the writing is not strictly Christian, it depicts some of the most Christian values and virtues in beautifully complex ways. It is a story with lasting meaning and importance, and each time I read it, it means something new and more complex to me than it did before. In summation, Noble puts it best, quote, Through his characters, McCarthy gives us a vision of absurd faith, and in so doing, suggests that regardless of how horrific our situation might be, we can act in faith and resist the siren call of nihilistic suicide or cannibalism. We can choose to have hope in a good God, in goodness itself, although such a hope is irrational by human calculation, end quote.
Even the most secular, contemporary, and brutal fiction can introduce us to profound understandings, perspectives, and contemplation. We just have to sift for it. In the end, I am glad that I stowed the crumpled copy of Alice's Adventures at my side and purchased it for a few forgotten dollars. I am glad it still resides on the shelf next to my bed, reminding me to witness this world with more imagination and possibility. From its origin to its impact, fictional storytelling provides us so much beauty and truth. A spectrum of perspectives and circumstances widens our ability to empathize and love our neighbors, be they friend or foe. Fiction aids us in a pursuit of reality, be it different from our own or familiar. It asks us to listen tenderly and understand slowly. It may not seem immediately effective of change in our modern society, and yet it is vital now more than ever. After all, quote, it is necessary that all should feel. It is necessary that all should understand and imagine the good, that all should begin, at least, to follow and find out God, end quote. Fiction aids us in this undertaking. George MacDonald writes that, quote, if there be music in my reader, I would gladly wake it. If any strain of my broken music make a child's eye flash or his mother's grow for a moment dim, my labor will not have been in vain. End quote. Let us allow these stories and all their modern impracticalities to woo us, to instruct us, to awaken us. Let us allow art to touch us, to guide us to the core of all reality, to the quote, bringing forth of ever more perfect eyes. End quote. After all, the world, though broken, is brimming with transcendent beauty. God's spoken into being with his imagination, so why not seek to understand it with our own? Thank you.